It's fancy. You have to push a button. The uh, Most of you guys know, y'all know by now, I, I work with the Highway Patrol, and we have microphones and things hanging off our head, and they're kind of irritating. Every once in a while, you forget them because everything's supposed to come on automatically. And so, and everything's recorded, and sometimes that gets a little embarrassing. We walk up to each other, and it's like, are you hot? <laughs> Don't want to say anything just yet. So, it, it can be real embarrassing. And it's, uh, I think I scared, I think I scared one of our troops last night. She's a, she's a young troop. She, she's only been here for a few months, and uh, everybody around the office, they say I'm, I'm the nice one. And uh, last night, I had this, this guy bless his heart, that's all I can say, he, he come by me a little quick, and that's no big deal, you know, I'm going to go make a friend, so I, there I go, I spin around, I go around the corner, I go after him, and as I'm pulling up to him, I see the window come down, and something goes out the window, and I was like, oh, no, you did not, you know, and so I'm thinking, <laughs> he just threw some dope out the window, I said, I can't believe that, so I get up there, and, and you know, it's this 26-year-old, and He's, you know, he's got some beer in there. I said, what'd you throw out the window? And he's, he's all shaking and stuff. He's like, a beer. I was like, really? Come on, really? A beer? I said, come on, it's some really dope, right? You threw dope out the window. Yeah, what's some dope? He was like, no, it's, it's just a beer. So I, I called her up there, and she sat on him while I went back to, to go see what it was. And I'm still I'm looking for dope. I was like, man, he threw some cocaine out the window. I'm getting all excited. And, and sure enough, it was beer. So by the time I got up there, I was irritated, and she, apparently he, had, he was crying to her, and I won't go into that part, but he was, he was crying, his life's all messed up, and, and she was like, you know, maybe I'd be really nice to him. I walked up to him, I said, first of all, I said, you're going to get a ticket for speeding, you're going to get a ticket for an open container, and you're going to get a ticket for littering! <laughs> yeah, make me go back there and look for that. So I'm not always the nicest guy, and she was staring at me like, who are you? you? People, we we have these misconceptions in life, don't we? And we have to be careful with these misconceptions, because a lot of time, if the people they they see me up here, and I haven't been with David, I don't get to work with him at Pantech, so I don't know what it's like at Pantech. So something tells me though he's probably really nice. The but we get these conceptions. We see people, and 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 you know, we they're up here, they're preaching, or they're up, they're teaching at school, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, they 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 look at your your life, they look at your marriage, and oh, you got a, you've been married twenty years, you got a perfect marriage, nothing ever goes wrong in your house. <laughs> Come on, people, wake up! <laughs> I know you've heard me say this before. I'm short. I'm German, and I get angry a lot, you know. And the passage I want y'all, we're going to look at today. Originally, I was going to look at, you know, David told me to to go to Luke, but I wasn't exactly sure where in Luke. And so, I'm sorry, David. We're going to Matthew. So, (laughs) originally, I wanted to talk about, I was wanting to talk about Peter walking on the water. But as I began to to really kind of look at that story and, and, and look at it more in detail. It's uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 is where we'll start. If you want to go ahead and turn there. As I began to look at that, I, I really kind of, I thought, you know, no, Pete, yeah, he had some issues, and yeah, he, he almost drowned, but he's all right. 
But I wanted to look at, really, I kind of wanted to look at the crowd. I wanted to look at the disciples and their reactions to what was going on. And I also wanted to talk about what, was, what preceded that. And what it is, is, is that Jesus had just done a great thing. What, what did he do? Somebody that's familiar with the story, tell me what just happened before Jesus sent the disciples away and he climbed on a boat. And, and Well, he didn't climb on the boat. That's right. There you go. He just fed. Now, now the funny thing about that, if you if you look at that, and go ahead and turn with me there to Matthew 14. I'm, I know you already have. Let's look at Matthew 14 there, right before verse 22. If you look down there uh, at verse 21, it says this. There were about 5,000 men who ate, aside from women and children. Okay. Uh, let me retranslate. There were 5,000 men there. Plus women and children, all right. So, and, and somebody help me real quick. Where's the youngest? Y'all help me real quick. How many? How many? How many loaves? How many fishes? Hey, five and two. Five and two. There you go. All right. Five. It was five loaves and two fishes. It's okay. It's all right, man. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> five loaves, two fishes. All right. Five thousand men. All right. Okay, well, but they didn't count. They were real bad about this back then. Women, sorry, they <laughs> they didn't count the women. Okay, but let's let's go with these magical numbers. All right, let's just look at this for real quick. Okay, most of the guys are going to be what? They're going to be married, right? And they're going to have a family. All right. I don't know if they're Americans. They have like 1.5 children. Has anybody seen that 1.5 children yet? I'm still looking for that 0.5 kid. Y'all seen them? No. Okay. All right, let's just go. Let's just go with it. Hey, why are you pointing at Pierce? <laughs> wow, he's been there the whole time. <laughs> let's let's just work about with this for just a second. Say say every guy was married there. Okay, now how many people are we talking about? Okay, say everybody had one child. Now how many people are we talking about? Okay, say. Say they had an off family there. Now how are we talking about? <laughs> you know, so look, folks, we're talking in the neighborhood of somewhere between five and thirty thousand people. All right, y'all, let that soak in for just one minute, okay? We're talking like you know, inviting Claude, Claritin, and probably you can throw in White Beer, feeding the entire community, dude. We're talking a fish fry. Off of two fishes, five five loaves of bread. That's a pretty big thing. Pretty big thing. What's even more amazing than that, though, if if you if you continue backtracking through there, what happened right before the crowd came and and Jesus spoke to the crowd there at the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. His cousin was beheaded. His cousin. And so he was grieving. And he was. He was trying he, he, he was trying to get some alone time. And as the crowds gathered and they were following him. The passage says that he was moved with great compassion upon the people. 
Jesus was able to, to look beyond himself, because he's Jesus. But he was able to look beyond his own grief. And he was able to look at the lives of each and every individual there. And know the struggles and the trials and the pains of everyone that was there. And while the disciples were back there going, ah, uh, what are we going to do? It's a big crowd, not many of us. And they're kind of flipping out and freaking out. Jesus was moved with compassion. And as Jesus began to speak to the crowd and the day got hot and dinner time come around the corner, you know, all of a sudden, uh, there's a lot of people out here and there ain't... I don't see a Walmart anywhere. <laughs> Feldman's is not around the corner. There's not a Whataburger. You know, where are we going to feed these people? And Jesus said, you feed them. So you can just see the disciples out there. They're running around, flipping out, freaking out. <laughs> they come back up. All we got is these five little blows and a couple little goldfish. That's all we got, man. And he sat them down. If you look in... This passage, if you you know, it's it's concurrent in Matthew and, and Mark chapter six and John chapter six. If you look there in Mark, it says that he he sat them down in groups of of a hundred and in and then fifties. So that's how they were able to kind of get a count. I remember going through uh, OCS in the military. <laughs> One of the first things they did with us is that every morning, every morning we we would line everybody up the entire. Uh, Battalion would, would get out, the unit would get out there, and everybody would be lined up, and we had to basically do a roll call. All right? And the militaries, they're kind of particular about this. And basically what they do is you have a squad leader, and you have a group of men there, and the squad leader is responsible for all the men. All right? So he gets a head count, everybody's present, blah, blah, blah. They go from the squad leaders, the squad leaders meet up with the platoon sergeant, the platoon sergeant will then meet with the first sergeant, and they, they gather up you know, the entire unit, and then they turn around and they present the numbers to the commander, the captain. Unfortunately, the captain, his responsibility is to be able to go out there and scan the entire unit, count heads, and know what the number is before the first sergeant comes and presents the number to him. Now, that just seems backwards and wrong. Why, why would you do that? I mean, if the guy's going to tell you, what? I don't know, but that's the way they wanted it. But it was real quickly, they trained us of how to, how to scan a crowd and look at the way it was arranged and be able to count heads and know before they came and told you what the number was. And so then the captain stands up there and he looks good because he's already counted heads. And every, all the little privates are back there going, how did he do that? <laughs> and that's what happened. Anyway, let's look at this passage here. We're going to start in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Well, he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went away to the, up to the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered from the waves, for the wind was contrary. I like that, I like that word, contrary. That makes it sound so nice. Look, man. They were out there struggling to get across the lake, and, and it was back and forth. The storms, the wind was blowing them all the way 
just all over the place. And you all will think about this for just a minute, okay? Jesus fed the crowd probably about, I don't know, lunchtime, 3 o'clock, somewhere in there, okay? All right? Now, it was evening time. The Sea of Galilee is probably, I don't know, what would you say, Possum Kingdom Lake, maybe Lake, Lake Texoma size. It's not... Yeah, it's not, it's a big lake, but I wouldn't really call it a sea. But anyway, they're, but yeah, okay, they're in a rowboat. So they're out there trying to row across here, okay? And so they left at 3 o'clock in the afternoon somewhere in that neighborhood, and they're out there trying to row across the water, okay? You just keep that in mind, all right? All right, so they're getting out there. The wind's blowing them all over the place, and it's not any fun. And in the fourth watch of the night, the fourth watch of the night, I know you look at that and go, Okay, if you go over to Mark, it, it gives you a little more detail, all right? It's about three, between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay, all right. How long had they been out there trying to row across the Sea of Galilee? <laughs> yeah, 12-hour shift, people. <laughs> There's 12 of them in the boat, and they're trying to row across the Sea of Galilee. Here it is, somewhere between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning, and guess what they're still doing? They're still trying to row across the Sea of Galilee. They have not made it to the other side. So they're, they're having issues in the boat, okay? And I don't know about you, okay, but anybody that's been to the gym and been on one of those daggum row masters, I can't imagine trying to do that for 12 hours, okay? At some point, I'm probably thinking, you know what? Here, take the stinking oars. I'm done. Let me know when it's over with. All right, but these guys, true to form, man, they're men. <laughs> true to form, three o'clock in the morning, here the guys are. Ah, we're gonna make it. Ah. So they're still struggling to get to the other side. Okay, now, as they're struggling to get to the other side, <laughs> as they're struggling to get to the other side in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, it's a storm, people. The wind is blowing, kind of like it is today, except on water. All right? So they're out there. It's 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, right? And, and all of a sudden, there goes Jesus. <laughs> He's walking across the water. Now, their reaction, their reaction to this is that uh, the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were frightened saying, it's a ghost. I love the Amplified Version. Because in the Amplified Version of the Bible, it says this. It was a deep, throaty cry <laughs> in the middle of the night. In other words, they, scrambled, they were screaming like little girls. <laughs> I, I mean, think about it, people. You're out there struggling, trying to get across the lake. You know, you're fighting. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Lightning's flashing. And all of a sudden, you see this dude walking across the lake. Beside you? Come on, people. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to flip out, aren't you? You know, Jesus, is, here he comes. He's walking by the boat. They're up there struggling, and lightning flashes, and Jesus is like, hello. <laughs> just just like he, and, and I believe it's in Mark. It's either in Mark or it's in John. It says that he would have passed them by. In other words, if, if they hadn't looked at the right time, Jesus would have met them on the other side. Because <laughs> he would have walked right on by. It's 
So the disciples are there. They're flipping out. And they're screaming, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. And they, they cried out for fear. But immediately, immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And again, in the Amplified, uh, I like it better because what it says is it, it, he doesn't just say it is I. He says, I am. Now, now, some of you scholars in here, y'all tell me real quick, what is, the, what is the consequence of making that statement? What did he just say? I'm God. That's exactly right. He, he said, I am. <laughs> Basically, he said, dude, relax. Everything's under control. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then we get into, into Peter's conversation, but I, I, I really don't want to look at Peter. I, I just want to focus on the disciples. In Mark, it says that as soon as he spoke, he immediately got in the boat, the storm stopped. And, and not only that, not only that, they were there at the other side. They've been in the boat how long? 12 hours, struggling, trying to get to the other side. Jesus shows up, storm stops, and boom, they're on shore. He climbs on board, they park it, and they get off. All right, why is this so important? Guys, look, every one of us struggles. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are. Especially men. We got this really nasty habit of trying to do things our way. (laughs) All right? And just like the disciples, we can struggle all we want. (laughs) And we're just going to kind of get in the middle of it. The The disciples had almost made it to the shore. But they'd been out there for 12 hours. And they were still struggling. Why? Part of it was because this was a test. I believe it was a test that God was using to, to work with them. It was another teaching example. But the other part of it is, that's who we are. We struggle. We fight. We fight against the system. We try to do things our own way. And every time that we try to do things our way, it's going to end up the same way. In frustration. Every time we try to do it our way, it's going to end up in frustration. But when we, when we give it to Jesus, when we give our struggles to God, He takes care of it Also in Mark, it says before he started walking across the water, if you look at there in Mark chapter 6, you'll see right before he, he, gets, he starts moving across the water, you'll see that he's on the shore and he's watching them struggle. I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret, okay? God created us to be dependent upon him. 
Did you catch what I said? Because I'm, I'm probably going to go against the mainstream of everything. I'm going against the mainstream of our society. I'm going against the mainstream of even the church today. I'm here to tell you this. God has created us to be dependent upon him. Listen to what I'm saying. God allows storms in your life. He allows those storms in your life to happen on purpose. Yes, I said it. He allows storms to happen on purpose for a reason. And the reason is for this, so that you would cry out to him. God does not want you to figure out things for yourself. He knows what you can do and what you can't do. He's watching you. He knows your talents. He knows how smart you are. You are. He knows how smart you are. He knows how he knows how gifted you are. He made you. Okay? He made you. But he made you to be dependent upon him. It's kind of a father thing. I mean, how many times have I gone over this with my children? We're going through this with Grayson right now. Who's Where is he? I'm scared. Our children have this really bad habit of trying to resolve things for themselves. Our kids, just like any other kid, they got a hold of some knives, they found some sticks, they made some swords, made some guns, okay? So we're watching little Skylar, a little foster child, right? And so Grayson, in all of his adamant wonder, he's out there, he's, psh, 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 he's playing. Scholar wants to play, and, he, you know, Scholar's not getting played with. He gets upset. Kid whacks him, Scholar whacks Grayson with a gun. Grayson, in all his infinite wisdom, says, <laughs> and he proceeds to whoop up on Scholar, a three-year-old, whoops up on the three-year-old, then takes the gun and then throws it over the fence, and then, you know, everything breaks loose. All right, and then he comes back. I get told what's going on. We're supposed to be doing a Bible study. It's like five minutes before the Bible study. So now all of a sudden I got to go out there and go, <laughs> be mean, get all over him, yell at him, send him to the room, kick him in the head, blah, blah. You know, and all of this could have been avoided if only Grayson had placed the authority where the authority was supposed to be placed. If Grayson had come to me and explained to me what was going on, then this whole issue could have been resolved without me having to have take blood pressure medication, whoop up on the child, wondering if CPS is going to call me and take everybody away, put me in a funny farm, and try to go to explain to the neighbor why there's a gun hanging out of his window. All that struggling for so you can get yelled at and be disappointed? Listen, folks. God created us to be dependent upon Him. He knows your struggles. He knows what you're going through. If you'll only 
cry out to him. If you only cry out to him, he'll take care of your needs. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. I really don't know what it is that you're going through today. But I'm really being honest with you when I say that God wants to take care of you. As we go through this time of prayer, I don't, I don't usually do this, but as we go through this time of prayer, I'm, I'm going to ask David and I'll ask Clay and, and Jamie and Carl if y'all come up. If you're struggling with something today, <laughs> dudes, people, quit struggling. Come give it to God. Because that's the awesome thing about God. You don't have to do anything except cry out to Him. Each one of these guys that are up here, they'll pray with you. Let's just be honest with each other, people. We struggle. Well, we may think that other people don't think that our struggles are that big of a deal. They are a big deal. As we go through this time, I, I invite you to come. And get with one of these gentlemen. Come, with, come pray with me. But let's take this to God. And let's start anew. Father, we just thank you for all you do and all that you give. Father, I just ask that we wouldn't leave this place today until we get our relationships right with you. Father, I get overwhelmed by thinking about all the struggles and all the pains that people go through. And unfortunately, I have a tendency to just, just to shut them out because it overwhelms me. God, I praise you for the fact that, that, that there is nothing that can overwhelm you. And I would just ask today, Father, if there's anybody here today that's struggling, Father, that they would take the first step and they would come to you and they'd pour out their lives before you and they'd cry out to you for help. Father, thank you for the blood that was shed for our souls. And forgive us, Father, when we fail you. Forgive us when we lose sight of you. Forgive us, Father, when our hearts get hardened and calloused because we've just been beat on so much. We ask all these things in the name of Christ.